come down here with you guys today and um, just hang out with you today down here. Today is our fifth installment in our war series, part five. And um, it's been an awesome journey, at least for me, as I've been preparing week in and week out uh, for every service, for every preaching. Uh, the one you must decide when we made a decision of, okay, we're going to declare war over all these different things. And if you've noticed, we haven't necessarily taken the angle in which we're going to go into spiritual warfare and talk about spiritual warfare. We did that a while back, and I titled the message, the series, Spiritual Warfare. We broke down the, the armor of God. We broke down Satan, demons, angels, hell, heaven. So I didn't want to do that whole preaching again. Maybe I'll do it in a few years or a few months or whatnot. So I didn't want to do the whole spiritual warfare. I just took a different angle where we talked about warring for our families, warring for our wives, our spouses, our husbands, and, and just declaring war over certain things in our lives. And, and today... Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about when it comes to war is what my message is titled, and it's titled War Essentials. And that's, that's kind of what it's titled. I don't know if you were able to see the graphic or anything like that, but we put it up all over um, Instagram and um, Facebook and all these other things. Uh, what's the other one? Twitter. <laughs> and um, we've been talking about war, and War Essentials is the next one I want to talk about. Now, what am I going to talk about? When I describe war essentials, well, what I'm going to talk about mainly is spiritual disciplines. And that's so important for war. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys today. You know, spiritual disciplines, there's so many. And if I were to sit here, well, I'm actually standing, stand up here today and share every spiritual discipline and teach on it. I mean, that's just weeks in itself. Like, I would have to do one on prayer, one on... So, I, I mean, we, we'll just be here forever and we'll never get off this, but... I'm going to just run by four. I'm going to just kind of like run by, do a little marathon next one real quick. Not even a marathon, just a sprint. Wouldn't be a marathon. And I'm going to break down four components, four spiritual disciplines that us corporately as a church. And now, there's so much more that I could share with you that you personally should do. But today, I'm going to focus on the four that we do as a church, as New Life, since I'm speaking to the church. Amen? So we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. So... I looked up this, what is a spiritual discipline, and just follow along with me in my introduction here. A spiritual discipline is one, as one person defined it as this, it's a training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior. That's a good definition. I'll say it again. Training expected to produce specific character or pattern of behavior. And you'll see why, I, and I'll go back to this definition later on, why this describes spiritual disciplines. Another definition is this, that the purpose of spiritual discipline is the development of our inner being, that which has been transformed by Christ at salvation. Now that's important. Because when we talk about war essentials, and I'm talking about spiritual disciplines, it's something in our lives that at salvation has become transformed. Meaning this, your prayer life should be different than when you were first, than before you got saved. Amen, God's people. <laughs> that your worship life and your worship style has changed and become more intense since before you were saved, God's people. And all these spiritual disciplines should have brought growth to your life and then themselves should be growing in itself. And they should be producing specific character in you 
a specific pattern of behavior. This is what I mean because I've met many Christians that call themselves Christians. You know what I'm talking about, right? They even wear the dog tag that says religion Christian all that. You know? All right? And, and you hang out with them for one minute and you want to go home because they're like, there is nothing godly about that person. It's probably because there are no spiritual disciplines in that person. So there hasn't been a growth. There hasn't been maturity. There hasn't been perfection like Scripture calls it, that we go on to perfection. It's not that we are perfected, but we are maturing. Amen. We are moving in growth. We're, we're, our inner man is growing. Our character and our behavior, the pattern of it is changing. It's developing into God's character, to God's nature. If you know anything about me, I love sports and I love football. And my wife hates this time of the year. <laughs> okay, all the ladies say amen. <laughs> There's some ladies in here though, that I represent for football. But um, I love to see how the NFL coaches and what they do to their players before the season starts. Have you guys ever seen that? Years back, I know this is like saying a bad word, but forgive me for cursing in church. Forgive me. But I'm going to curse right now in church. Nick Saban used to be our coach. Sorry. Sorry, I know I just cursed in, in church. Sorry about that. But Nick Saban used to be the Dolphins coach, the Miami Dolphins coach. And um, we just loved that time, right, when he was our coach. Whatever. But do you guys remember what happened that one time in practice? Do you guys remember? It was all over the news, all over ESPN, top 10. He grabs one of the 300-pound linemen towering over Nick Saban. Nick Saban grabs him by the mask, puts him in his face. The, the dude's like this. He could, sw he could literally get Nick Saban and swallow him and eat him and digest him. <laughs> And then, mm -hmm. but Nick Saban grabbed him and beep, 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 you big for nothing. I don't know if you guys remember that story. The guy was in the practice field. He walks out of the practice field crying, and they caught him on camera. They, oh, 300 pounds. Oh, suck it up, man. You're in the NFL. 300-pound man who is a gladiator every Sunday. He stands in front of another 300-pound man, and when the quarterback says hike, at full speed, they just, Wah! and they, I still don't understand how the helmets don't crack, but they don't. And Wah! sometimes the mask falls off, and they run into each other, and all you hear on TV is, ksh, ksh. it's like, whoa, and they're gladiators, and the coach tells them something, and he starts to cry, and he walks out, I'm like, are you serious, you whip? And he walks out. I love to see what NFL coaches do to their players during this time of the season, and especially during preseason. What do they do? They physically and mentally and emotionally discipline their players. Have you noticed that? You, I mean, they could be talking to a pro bowler, which is an all-star in the team, and they don't care. They will look at that all-star in the face and say, you good for nothing. You will get cut today. If we needed to make the team today, you would get cut. If you continue to play like that, and they just rip them. And then sometimes you see them say, good job, I'm so proud of you. You're making some great advancements. You're doing awesome. Keep it up. You might have a spot on the roster if you could. And they play both sides of the spectrum. You're bad one day, you're good one day. I love what NFL coaches do to their players, but what they're doing is something physical, mental, and emotionally. They're disciplining their lives. I wrote this down. They're trying, what they're really trying to do is this. They're trying to build character in these players because they know that there's going to be a day that they're going to be playing in a frozen field. Maybe 20 or 10 below zero, like in the Green Bay. 
And then one day, that 300-pound lineman, he's gonna, in one play, he's going to break his wrist. And then his wife just left him the night before. And then the last play, he broke a wrist. And now he's freezing. You know that player cannot walk into the field, into the sidelines and say, Coach, I'm having such a bad day. My wife left me yesterday. I just broke my wrist in this last play, and I'm real cold. It's 20 below zero here in Green Bay. The coach will look at him right in the face and say, You listen to me, you little wimp. You get back on that field. You get that injection in your wrist or strap it up, and you get back on there, and you play. If not, we're throwing you off this team. Amen. I mean, that stinks for saying amen to that, but <laughs> it happens. But they're building character because there's going to be a day like that, that that's going to happen to that player, where they're going to break a bone, where they're going to face some hard climates, bad temperature. There's a player for the Pittsburgh Steelers that whenever he plays at Denver, he can't play. He's a safety, I believe, and he can't play because he has um, um, um sickle cell, and in his sickle cell, he almost died the last time he played there. Literally, he got off the field, they rushed him to the hospital, and he almost died. They needed to take out, like, his doctor, Andino, to, soon to be. What did they take out? Do you remember? His organs. They took out, like, I don't know how many organs from his body. Come on, doc. All right. But <laughs> you're supposed to help me on that one. I should have emailed. I should have texted you. Huh? His gallbladder and all that. So the other day, the first game of the season, it was the Denver Broncos, and it was um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the dude... Hey, over here. All right. <laughs> what just happened? All right, so the guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers had to sit down or stand, and he was in his uniform. He could not play and watch this, the game. You see, the reason why these coaches are like this with their players is because they're trying to build character. They're trying to develop their inner man so that they would produce, produce, so that they would grow, watch this, so that they would mature regardless of the scenario. Because there's going to be a day that you, Christian, are going to be under 20 degrees uh, under zero, 20 under. And there's going to be days when you're going to have a broken spirit, maybe not broken bones. Some of you have broken bones too, whatever. Miguel just, I mean, praise God for Miguel. He's back with us. And um, he just had a surgery. and he's, But you experienced it. But he's here today. Amen. Um, at the end, we're going to pray for him. By the way, today's his last day. He's going to go to the University of Chicago. Amen. He's our valid Victorian, by the way, but that's an all human. We have two valid Victorians, Robert from two years ago, three years ago, and him from last year. Amen. Praise God. I just like to show that off. I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. I was never able to do it. I was like the lowest one in the class. Right. But there's going to be a day in your Christian walk where you're going to experience these things. You're going to experience heartache. You're going to experience pain. And if you have not allowed God to develop you in the inside, when you face these heartaches, when you face these problems, when you face this weather, when you face these scenarios, and your character hasn't been developed and built, and your inner man hasn't been producing, what are you going to do when you come face to face with that scenario? You're going to back down and cry, say, please, God, take me out of this game. God's going to be like, no, get persecuted. Go through this. You see, this is what the coaches do. They take frail, weak, fresh rookies straight out of college football, and they begin to test them and test them and test them. And this is what they do. I love this. They begin to place them in positions that they're going to fail in. Like, why would you do that as a coach, man? Why would you put the rookie against your all-star linebacker? Why would you do that? Give them some confidence. Like, I want to break them down before I ever build them up. Now God does to us. 
The Bible says in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah that what? The potter and the clay. What does he do before he starts building the clay? He breaks it down, destroys it, and then he builds it up again. That's what the NFL coaches are doing. And that's what God is doing with us. And they discipline them. They place them in a position to fail in order to bring them up and to make them what? Stronger. Stronger. They discipline them with such tenacity that they make a 21-year-old, 300-pound man, muscular, grown man, they make him cry wishing that he could crawl into a shell. I don't understand how coaches do that, but that's a gift. And they do this all in order to make them stronger, to make them more able and disciplined, so that they'd be ready to go to battle when they hit that field. Coach, why are you being so mean? Because you're about to face another 300-pounder that wants to hit you harder than you want to hit him. So I got to get you ready. Listen to me. Some of you are going to face an enemy that is going to hit you way harder. So listen, I'm preparing you so that you could hit him even stronger and harder. That's why I'm preaching this message. Come at him before he comes at you, man. Surprise him, huh, for once. War essentials is what I'm talking about today. The truth is we have too many Christians that are claiming war against the enemy. War against sin and war against these dark times that they live in. They're claiming war. And they're asking to put them in the field to play. They're asking to be thrown into the battle to fight against the enemy, against whatever it is, without the essentials that are needed, without the disciplines that are required. I'm going to share something with you today. They will not last. I've seen so many Christians catch fire come to church, even get baptized, months pass, they're gone. They didn't last. It happens here in New Life. Why? Because they did not focus on spiritual disciplines in their lives. So when the heat got real hot, when the cold got real cold, when the enemy came real strong, they just backed down and cried away. And they did not know how to fight against sin, fight against the enemy, against their own flesh. Listen, they will not last. So maybe you're today, maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, what do I got to do? I'm, I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You got to discipline your life. You got to discipline yourself. So I'm going to talk to some of your hearts today. I'm going to talk to some of you. I was having a meeting before service, and, and this is not part of my notes, but just a side note. Just write this down in your notes for fun. In Acts chapter 2, the early church is so amazing. Because in the early church, it says this. If you could just follow with me. The early church is beginning to grow and grow and grow. And in chapter 2, verse 42, it says they continued they continued strong, strong, steadfast. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine, and they continued in fellowship. I love that. They continued in doctrine and fellowship. You're starting to see some principles right now. They continued in the breaking of the bread, another principle. And then I look, look at this, look at this. And they even continued in prayer. Listen, listen. You want to know why the early church lasted, and they even got through Nero's persecutions, and they got through the Roman persecution? Because they locked down spiritual principles. They locked it down. So when Nero came to burn down Christians and burn them alive, they're like, burn me alive. I'm cool with that. I'll die for Jesus. I'm legit. And you're like, how do these crazy Christians do that? Because they locked down spiritual disciplines. They knew God because they've spent time with God. Are you guys with me? I want to make sure you're with me because um, there's football tonight, today, and, you know, I just want to make sure. But watch this. 
And it says, the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold possessions and goods, divided them among all, anyone who had need. And watch what it says in verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity in the heart. What do you see here in the early church? You're seeing spiritual disciplines. You're seeing spiritual disciplines being and being made alive in their lives and they're being able to test, uh, stand the test of time. I'm going to share a scripture with you as we get ready to jump into this uh, message. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 as we put it up on the screen. If you have your smartphone, smart pad, smart whatever it is, um, just go ahead and open up your Bibles. This is church. You should have your Bibles and notes to take notes and read. Amen. Everybody say amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. And I'm going to read from an easier translation because it's still the word of God. I just want you to check out the words, the way they describe it in this translation. But check this out. It says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize. I, I like this because if you ask every single, I've talked about NFL earlier. If you ask every single athlete, and especially in the NFL, well, what do you want out of this year? Every single one of them will say this, I want to win the Super Bowl. Every athlete disciplines themselves in their training. Why? They do it so that they can win a prize. Listen, I live this life for God, not just because, hey, I just want to live for God. I love God. And listen, I want to receive the prize that God has for me, church. Like, I want to walk in there and get a crown. I really do. I want to see how many jewels I got on it. Like, I want to see that. I know where it's going. It's going back to the feet of Jesus. But it's going to be cool just to see it for once, get a glance of it. It's going to be pretty awesome. I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty raw. I mean, how's that crown going to look like? How is it going to look like? And, and here are athletes, and they're being disciplined for their training. They do it to win a prize. Watch this. Watch this. But they do it. Whoa. I'll go back. But they do it for a prize that will fade away. But watch what it says about us. But we do it for an eternal prize. Amen. My prize, Super Bowl rings, they deteriorate, you melt them, the, 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 the gold will just melt, the diamonds will be lost, and, and who cares? But I want an eternal prize that never fades, that lasts forever, amen. amen. And then he says, so I, Paul, I run with purpose. How many of you live this life and walk this life with purpose? What is your, can you write this down in your notes? I want to challenge you as your pastor, ready? What is your purpose? Write that down in your notes. What is my purpose? Question mark. Ready? When you go home today and you can't answer that, let's schedule a meeting. I mean, it might not be with me. It might be with one of my leaders or something. But schedule a meeting and we're all going to sit with you. Because we want to make sure you understand what God's purpose is in your life. We want you to understand what the word of God says about you. Now watch this. He says this. So I run with purpose in every step. And I am not just shadow boxing. I'm not just throwing wild punches in the air, just aimlessly seeing if I hit something. Look what he says here. But I discipline my body like an athlete, and I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I feel that after I preach to others, I would be disqualified myself. Man, that's some serious stuff. What is Paul talking about here? Discipline, spiritual disciplines. I discipline myself, and that is why I do and what I do. I walk with purpose, but don't think that it is not some pain to go into this. I discipline myself every day. It's like going to the gym. 
probably, unless you're like one of those crazy people, but most of you in here do not like going to the gym, but you go anyways. You don't wake up at 5 in the morning and say, I just can't wait to hit that gym. You're already thinking about the pain. You're already thinking about all oh, the pressure. But you do it. Why? You're disciplining your body. You want to see what? Results. You want to see what? Growth. You want to see what? That someone says you and says, you look a little different, huh? You look a little muscular. You're working out. And, and it's the same thing with, with God. We discipline our bodies and we work things out for God so that there's change, so that there's growth. And someone looks and says, man, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? I love this quote. It says, Christianity would be incredibly influential in our culture. Watch this. If Christians consistently lived their faith. <laughs> Christianity would be incredibly influential in our culture if Christians consistently, keyword there, lived their faith. The problem is that millions don't live like Christians, and that's partially because they don't know how. My God. My God. Leads me to this next verse. I'm just going to share verses with you. Let the Bible talk. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Same translation of Scripture. Watch this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would with spiritual people. What? You just tried me, Paul. You're writing to me who is part of the brotherhood, and you're telling me that when you talk to me, you couldn't talk to me like you do with spiritual people. Paul, are you trying to say that I'm not spiritual? Guess what Paul's answer was? Yeah, exactly. You got my, you got my drift. You got it. You got it. <laughs> my God, I would hate to be that person, but watch this. I had to talk to you as you belong to this world. Is that so among you, Christian? That when I try to talk to you the way God wants to talk to you? And discipline and correct and love and care. That you get all like, so I'm like, all right, let me try to be secular and worldly with this guy so he could get it. Is that the way it should be? And Paul's like, I have to talk to you like if I was talking to the world so you could get it. You didn't even understand how things in the word were. What should it says? As though you were infants in this Christian life. As though you were drinking little milk still. Think about that. If I'm preaching today and I went to get a drink, and I'm drinking out of a little bottle with milk in it, cafe caliente, you know, that was microwave right before I preached, and I just start drinking from the tete of the, of the Gerber bottle, you all think I'm weird. Man, what's wrong with Pastor Rio? I'm going to go find another church. This guy's drinking from a baby's bottle, man. <laughs> and Paul's like, yo, some of you have continued in this Christian life as infants. You're still drinking from the baby bottle and you're in your 30s and your 40s and your 20s. He's like, get off that milk, man. Mature, grow. Look what he says in verse 2. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. You know what Paul's saying? I wanted to give you steak, but I had to warm up milk for you. My God. If you only knew what was on the menu for today, the menu today was steak, man. Lobster. But, man, you're just satisfied with milk. Do you want to be that Christian? Man, baby, give me a steak. Give me the lobster. Give me the beans and the rice. I want solid food, man. Look what Paul says. And you're still not ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. Quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? He asks them a question. Aren't you living like the people of this world? Wow. I read that verse and all I could say is this. We need to have what I call today war essentials in our lives. We need to have disciplines in our lives. Things that are absolutely necessary in our Christian walk. Listen, if we are going to war, we need these essentials in our lives. And what kind of essentials would you need? Just think about those things today. Think about someone that's about to go to war. Okay? You need, you need weapons to go to war. You're not going to just go out there and say, 
I'm going to just go to war and fight with my hands. Just, boom. It's just, you're going to shoot you. I mean, you need weapons of warfare. But not only weapons, but you need to then be trained to use those weapons. Because if not, watch this. You're just going to be shooting wildly and you're not going to hit one person. You know how many Christians we have that all they speak and they don't impact one person? Back over here. Because they're aimlessly, they don't know, they're not sensitive, they're not being led by the Spirit. You need weapons, and you need to be trained in those weapons. You need to learn the commands, and then you need to learn how to train in those commands. You can't just be given a command and go, and then you're like, what command was it again? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You would have to know the art of war. You would have to know battle, how to battle. If not, you would be killed quickly. It's no different in the spiritual realm. No one says this. Ready? I'm ready to fight without the proper training. No one says that. I would be scared if I got elected to go to war, and I say, what happened? I don't go to boot camp first? No, no, just get dressed, go to war. And you're crazy. I'm going to war first. Without the proper disciplines, without the proper necessities needed, no one says, I'm ready to go to war. And that includes you. That includes me. So throughout the weeks, we've been sharing, that's my introduction. <laughs> Sorry about that. How we are all in war. So do you have the proper essentials that will get you through this war today? Do you? One of the first essentials that I want to talk to you about, write this down in your notes, is service, servanthood, service. Service. If you could write that down in your notes. Service. And then write down uh, this verse, Matthew chapter 25. And write down Matthew 25, verses 37 all the way to 45 for me. Matthew 25, 37 through 45. If you're there, say amen. All right, here I go. Ready? All, everyone listening to the scriptures. It says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? Lord, when did we see you naked and give you clothing? When did we see you ever sick or in prison and not visit you? And the Lord, the king, will say this, I told you, I tell you the truth. Now when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. But this is amazing because the righteous ones are saying, Lord, well, when did this happen? And they're like, well, you did it to these people, so you did it to me. And they're like, all right, pretty awesome, cool. And we're going to skip a little bit. Look at verse 44. Then they will reply, and they, I put this in parentheses in my Bible, the unrighteous ones will reply, well, Lord, when did we ever see you? Okay, so you have the righteous and then you have the unrighteous. No, the unrighteous come. Okay, Lord, our turn. And look what they say. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger naked, sick, or in prison and not help you? And look what the Lord answers. I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help, the least of these, brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So my question to the church is this service. Are you humbly serving God by overflowing with his love, with his compassion to others, especially those in need? Especially those in need. Are, are, are you serving? Because let me tell you what happens here. Ready? So many people want to be served, but they themselves never are servants. So I'm talking to the people now that are called to be servants, and that's all of us here. Are we serving people who are in need? You know, some of my greatest growths and some of my greatest joys is when I'm able to serve someone. And it's not so that they can pat me in the back and say thank you, but it's something happens in my spirit where I kind of feel like Christ. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Like you just feel like 
not like you're Christ or you're God, but you feel God's character in you. And you say, man, I just displayed and I just showed this person a piece of who God is. And growth takes place because you saw someone who was in need, someone who was broken, someone who was down and out, someone who needed prayer, someone who needed a hand, someone who needed a ride, someone who needed a touch, someone who needed love, someone who needed compassion. As a matter of fact, Jesus was on a mountain one day talking to his disciples, and he sees a multitude of people walking to him, and then he says, oh my God, my heart is broken for these people. Why? Because Jesus was the one that deserves all the service and all the praise, but yet he was the greatest servant known to man. I don't understand that at all. How can someone be both king and servant, yet Jesus stands and says, I did them both. And he stands as king on the mountaintop and says, those people coming to me, I'm broken with compassion for them because they're like sheep led to the slaughter. That's so big. And then he said, we've got to do something about this. You know what he eventually did to those people, George? He didn't cast them to the fire. What do you do to those people? He fed them. They were so hungry. Ah, he remembers. It's all right. They were so hungry. And they come to Jesus saying, I'm starving over 5,000 people. And Jesus says, yo, disciples, go get some food. And they're like, you're crazy. We ain't got no food for all these people. He said, just go get some food. And he's like, we ain't got no food, Jesus. And one disciple says, hey, I don't know if this will work. But we could probably feed five out of the 5,000. We got a, a little boy over here that's walking with his food to go to mom and feed his whole family. And all he has is five loaves and two fish. And he says, bring it over here. And they're like, what the heck are you going to do? You're just going to feed us with that. He gets that he creates the greatest miracle. Watch this. Guys, if you get so caught up and you think that Jesus just fed them, you're so wrong. Jesus didn't just feed the 5,000. Jesus served the 5,000. Their greatest need at that hour was, I need to be fed. And Jesus says, come to the bread of life and you will never hunger again, baby. Wow. Can I get off service? Here it is. Ready? I'll leave you with this. Can people come to you and say, I'm hungry. Watch this. And can you, are you able to lead them to the bread of life so that they will never hunger again? question. Can you do that? If you can't, you need to work on that spiritual discipline. So ready? Spiritual discipline number one, service. Check. Got to work on it. (laughs) Got to work on it. Got to work on it. Feed the hungry spiritually as well. Did you guys understand service? Should I keep preaching on that? You guys got it? Alex, you got it? Amen. Number two, let's jump into this because now I'll stay on service forever, man. Number two is worship. Mm. Let's get into scripture before I talk about this. John chapter 4, verse 24. When you're there, give me an amen so I can know to keep going. And you guys are fast with scripture. All right, John 4, 24 says this. Number two, spiritual discipline, worship. And Jesus replies, believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father. I love this. Whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. I love that. You know what I'm saying? I love that. I love that. Hey, Baku, where do you worship the Lord? I worship the Lord in new life. Really? Hey, Phil, where do you worship the Lord? I worship the Lord in my closet. I empty out all of my shoes and my clothes, and I just lay down in my closet. In my closet. Praise God. Hey, Andrea. Andrea, 
Where do you worship the Lord? Where do you worship the Lord? Well, I go run a mile, and that's how I worship my Lord. And all of you, and Jesus is like, listen, I could care less where you worship the Lord, whether it's in Jerusalem or on this temple, whether it's in your closet or at New Life or while you're running a mile, because the time is coming. Oh, man. Let's just get back into Scripture. Ready? He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, whether it's on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22 says this. Because, woman, you know very little about the one you worship. Another translation says, you worship what you do not know. You know, I read that. I read that in Scripture. I literally read that in, in, in my little table where I do my message. And I literally read that, right? And this is what I did. I went, and you worship what you do not know. And I went, oh, my God. You should see me, man. I'm just weird when I do my messages. Weirder than when I preach them. But this is amazing because he's telling the woman, you know very little about the one you worship. And you worship the one you, you do not know. Watch what he says next. Ready? We Jews, we, we know about him, about God, and salvation comes. And, and look at verse 23. The time is coming indeed, and it's here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He breaks down rituals, he breaks down traditions, he breaks down religion. I don't care if you have a bead around your neck and you, you do the circles. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is. Hail Mary, full of grace, mother of thy womb, Jesus. Listen, listen. Jesus like, do away with all those things. I'm not into traditions and rituals. I just want you to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's, I offended some of you guys? Amen, that's the truth, that's worship. Some Catholics got offended. But I'm just being honest. I mean, God is like, I, I just need to be worshipped. It's not in a certain way, and it's not in a certain word, and it's not in a certain prayer, and it's, and it's not in a, in, a, in a certain step, and it's not in a certain sacrifice, and it's not in a certain, certain building, and it's not. Jesus is like, when you come to the Lord, there's going to be a time when the Lord is going to rise up these true worshippers, and they're going to worship in their spirit. They're going to worship in truth, whether they're running a mile, whether they're in new life, or whether they're laying down in their closet. They're going to worship God, and God is going to hear the worship because it's real, it's genuine. There's a real cry behind the worship. Watch this. Watch this. It's not like the woman at the well that was going to worship God, but she did not know God. But Jesus says, I want you to go up to the temple or to Jerusalem, wherever you want. But watch this. The key to worship is that you worship the one that you do know. Because what good is it to come to church, to run a mile, to go to new life, or to throw yourself in the closet when you worship the one you do not know? So the key of worship, that's why I mentioned the little beads. It's not because of any of that. The key of worship is that you know Jesus. You know Jesus. Okay, spiritual discipline number two, war essential number two. Does this speak of us here? I love what Nelson says. God is not limited with time and space. When people are born of the Spirit, they can commune with God anywhere. Listen, listen. When people are born with the Spirit, they can commune with God anywhere. Watch this. Spirit is the opposite of what is material and earthly. This is good. Christ makes worship a matter of the heart. Now, truth. Truth is what is in harmony with the nature and will of God. That's good. It is the opposite of all that is false. Here, the truth is specifically the worship of God through Jesus Christ. The issue is not where a person worships. Closet, mile, new life. The issue is not where the person worships. Don't miss this. 
But who they worship? Oh, my God. But who? Because I'll be honest with you, my greatest worship, I don't know why, and all my messages, the best of them, come in the shower. That's weird. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm just being honest, transparent. It's weird. Javi too, amen. In the shower. For hours of hot water hitting me. And God speaks to me like, yes, I got the message for this week. And I'm just like, I feel like. <laughs> because it's not where you worship God. Listen, listen. It's who you worship. And principle number two is this, ready? You're going to be in like, in some serious stuff one day. You're going to be in some serious stuff one day. But if you don't know who you worship, you ain't going to last. You know what I'm saying? I could come over here and preach the word, but if I don't know who the word is, my preaching the word is nothing. I could come up here and grab that piano and lead worship. I could grab this mic and lead worship and grab that guitar and lead worship. Oh, man, praise God, you're so good, you're so talented. But if I don't know who God is, I will not last. Are you guys with me? Principle number two is worship. And here is the woman at the well, and he says, Lady, you do not know who you worship. You're so confused. When you come here on Sundays, do you know who you're worshiping? You're not worshiping Ali and the team. You're not worshiping the image of new life. Or you're not getting in the positive energy spirit realm that is in this building. Get that stuff out of your head. We're worshiping the creator of our creation, the Lord of this universe. We are worshiping Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We worship. We worship. I would love to look at some of our worship resumes, see how good we do. But we won't do that today. Point number three, war essential. Number three is this. Write this down, fasting. I'm almost done. Fasting. When it comes to fasting, it's all over Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament, and it's all over the New Testament. Esther fasted before she addressed the king, and I don't have time to tell you every single person that fasted because I will be here forever. But Esther fasted before she addressed the king, which eventually she saved all her people, if you remember Esther's story. Joel called on to God's people to fast and to return to the Lord, the whole nation. Joel fasted. Nehemiah fasted for his people when he heard they'd been killed and the city walls were burned down. Nehemiah fasted. Isaiah, Daniel, and Joel in the Old Testament, they all fasted when they saw God's goodness and they all cried out for mercy. It's all over the Old Testament. They all fasted, 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 fasted. What is fasting? I run pretty fast. No, it's not what it is. If you look in the New Testament, the New Testament leaders, they fasted many times. As a matter of fact, in one scripture, they fasted and the spirit in Acts, it says, came upon them and it spoke to them to send Paul and Barnabas out on their first mission trip. But you know that that answer came through fasting? The Bible says that the elders, they fasted. And when they fasted, the spirit of the Lord said, send Paul, send Barnabas, send them to the first mission trip. And they came to Paul and Barnabas and said, I fasted over this matter. We need to send you out. And they're like, all right, if you fasted and you heard from the Lord, I'm going. Because some elders got serious with God. Listen, listen. Some elders got, some leaders got serious with God, and they started fasting. Can you imagine if some people here, some family members get serious with God and start fasting for their families? Can you imagine if some people here start fasting for the church, fasting for their spouses, fasting for their children, fasting for people that they know? Come on, man. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus even talks about fasting, and he talks about how his followers were to fast for him when he was gone. Fasting is all over Scripture. All over I want to read a scripture uh, to you. It's Joel chapter 1, verse 14. And, and I love what Joel says here to the people. 
look what he says in Joel 1.14. If you have it in your Bible, just open it and write this down in your notes. I'm not sure if that's working yet, but it's Joel chapter 114. Watch this. It says, consecrate a fast. I love that. You know what that means? Separate a fast. Get a fast ready. And look what he says. Call a solemn assembly. Call them together and gather the elders. Gather the leaders. And all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. I love this. Because Joel's saying it's time for the people to fast. Bring the leaders. Bring the church. Bring everyone and their mamas. And it's time to fast and to cry out to the Lord. I'm, I'm going to share a quote from John Piper. I love John Piper. In his messages of holiness. Check this out. Just watch this. Just, just listen. It's a long quote. So catch this. Do you have a hunger for God? If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. My God. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Watch this. If we are full of what the world offers, then perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. Think about that. You're filled with what the world offers? Come on. You woke up with bitterness, anger? You get mad at people quickly? Huh? You're getting mad at people quickly in these days? Unless you're pregnant, amen? <laughs> Are you sure, you know? <laughs> okay? I go home with her every day. But watch this. But you've been getting mad at people? You've been angry? Huh? People are getting on your last nerve lately? Well, you started to curse again? You started to drink again? You started to get in indecent relationships again? You started to think things again? You started to watch things again? You started to click on things again? You started to scroll on things again? What is it in your life? Do, do you see yourself being filled with, with worldly things? Well, well, I love what Piper says. If we're full of what the world offers, perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. He's saying this. It's time that you fast, man. It's time that you consecrate yourself. Don't eat. Don't drink. Just, just go into a room and cry out to God. Say, God, I need this in my life. I just want to worship you and seek your greatness and your goodness. Look what he says next. He says this. Between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence is the path of pleasant pain called fasting. You see, in our lives, maybe you're here today like, well, I don't agree with fasting. And that's all right. It's probably because you love food a lot, and that's cool. <laughs> a lot of people that do not agree with fasting is because they love to eat, and that's all right. I love to eat. It's hard for me to fast. I'm your pastor, and it's hard for me to fast. I have to, like, spend a week in prayer, then get ready for fasting, and then I'm ready now, Lord. Let's do it. But it's hard. It's hard to fast. I mean, we could fast TV. That's cool. But then you have your iPod. You could fast your iPod. That's cool. But then you have the TV. Well, I'll fast my, my iPhone, but then you have your iPad. I'll fast my iPad. Then you got your computer. Well, I'll fast all technology. All right, cool. But then you got your TV, so fast technology and TV. Okay, I'll fast all that. That's considered technology. All right. But, you know, there's, I, I've experienced through my years, I've done all those fastings. Like, I fasted this, I fasted that. I fasted, you know, I'll fast chocolate since I love it, and I'll fast sodas. But I realized it doesn't really cry out anything out of me. It's like, all right, I substituted soda for water for a month. Well, who cares? But what I realized is this. When I go on a real fast and I say, I'm going to go five days without eating anything, man, God just gets in the inside of me and shows me things about me that I've never seen. 
He says, you're bitter about this. You're angry about this. You're seeing things like this. You're, and I start seeing who I really am when I'm fasting. Why? Watch this. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing my hunger. Watch this. Physical for my hunger that is spiritual. Man. That's what fasting is if you're writing notes. What is fasting? You're substituting physical hunger for spiritual hunger. And I've realized that when my spiritual hunger becomes satisfied, I don't even think about my fasting. I've done, this is like not to boast anything. I've done a 40-day fast. The first two weeks was hard. I would drive down the streets, and I would smell like literally the oil in Burger King that they would cook the food with. That's how intense my senses were. That I would drive, and I promise you, I was like, I smell things that I've never smelled in my life because of my fast, and I was in the second week of it. And I went on like one of those 40-day ones that I all I did was eat like, an apple, an orange, and I was like, oh, my God, I just can't wait to eat a steak already, a rice already. And I was dying. <laughs> but I'll tell you something what happened to me. When some of those days got a little bit deeper and deeper, I started thinking about food. And all that thought of food became all the thought of the word of God. And all I wanted was more and more and more of Jesus. I got to see Jesus heal people. I got to see Jesus speak words into people. And I said, oh, my God. And Jesus is like, that's what happens when you substitute something physical and you do it away and you consecrate it and you bring in something spiritual to overplace that. And I'm like, my God. <laughs> Excuse me. It's like an art. So number three. Fasting. How's your fasting life? Some of you need to fast for your marriage. Start tomorrow. Or pray for it if you're like me and get ready. Some of you need to fast for your job. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Get on a fast. You want to fast for some people you love? Do it. Do it. Fast. Say, Lord, I'm replacing something physical to see the spiritual. And my last two as I roll with this is Bible reading. Psalms 119, 105, as I tell the worship team to start getting ready. Psalms 119, 105 is this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The word of God, church. 1 John 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 says this. Now by this we know that we know him. Do you know Jesus? If you say you know Jesus, don't say nothing. But are you one of those that say, I know Jesus? Well, watch what he says here. Now by this we know that we know Jesus, that if we keep his what, church? Keep his word. If you keep his commandments, watch this. He who says, I know Jesus, and does not keep his word is a liar. Oh, man. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Jesus. He who says that he abides in Jesus ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus walked, watch this, come on church, listen. He walked according to the word of God. But my question to you is this. You would never be able to walk according to the word if you never know the word. So my, what point is this for? So my fourth point is the word of God, Bible reading and memorizing it and applying it, application to your life. The Bible says in James, man, do not just be a hearer of the word of God, but also be a doer of the word of God. Watch this. Ready? Bring forth application from what you learn in scripture. This is amazing. Why? Because when you start to know what scripture says, you start to walk as scripture says. You see, you'll never be able to live according to the word if you never know according to the word. So here I am, Christian. If the only time that you get into the word is 45 minutes to an hour on Sunday morning, I passionately and lovingly and compassionately tell you this. That is not enough. Ready? You will not make it. 
Some of your biggest struggles is because you don't know the word. Some of your biggest temptations is because you don't know the word. Because I believe in the word. And the Bible says that you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. So I believe that a lot of the church's problem is because you got a lot of preachers and a lot of churches that are tickling ears. But they're not speaking the truth. And I'm telling you today that the word of God is truth. Get into the word and you'll be able to live like the word says. Come on somebody. It's Bible reading time. Well, tonight I'm going to do this. No, we're not. We're going to read the Word of God. Bible reading. Discipline yourself. Do I really have to? You really have to. The more you know the Word, the more you know your God. And the more you know your God, watch how it's a link. The more you worship God. And the more you worship God, the more you grow in God. And the more you serve God. It's all a link. Spiritual disciplines. Get the links together. Get into the Word of God. Study the Word of God. And I end with number five. Hudson Taylor. Love him. I want to read his biography, but I haven't done it yet. He says this. The prayer power... Prayer is number five. And I'm done after this. The prayer power has never been tried till its full capacity my god the prayer power has never been tried till its full capacity if we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness failure and disappointment watch what he says let us answer god's standing challenge which is this call unto me and i will answer you and i will show you great and mighty things which you knowest not all i can say is Good job, Hudson Taylor. You said it right. So my question to the church is this. Is your communication with God? How is that today? Is it in full effect? I'm not condemning you in these things. I'm encouraging you in these things, church. I'm I'm actually trying to help you to tell you, can you start praying a little bit more? Can you discipline yourself? Because your prayer life is your communication life. If I don't talk to my wife for three days, four days, five days, one year, two years, three years, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm not going to tell you today you're going to lose your salvation. I'm not going to even preach that. I'm not even going to try to touch that subject. But what I am telling you is this. If you go on talking to God one day, two days, two years, three years, four years, you will not last. Discipline yourself. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. How can you want me to pray and never stop praying? Because it's not literally praying. It's a heart that is in constant prayer. In constant desire to fulfill God's will. Check this out. Like David, that your heart longs for what God wants. For what God's heart longs for. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence which we have before God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I love that. Can you guys say this with me? If I ask anything, key word there is anything, but watch this, according to his will. That's the key. Some of us are asking, but God's like, it's not my will. That's why it's not happening. If you ask anything according to God's will, 
He hears you. And if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. Praise God for that. So church, do you pray because you are in relationship with God? Or do you pray because you are in relationship with God? I pray because I'm in relationship with God. You know, when I pray to God, I'll be in the car and I don't be like, Thou highest God most beeth of the upper heavens, of the majesties of skies, of the angels. I don't do none of that. I'm like, Jesus, what's up, man? I don't disrespect you today, but I'm really hurting. I need healing in my heart. Jesus, forgive me. I really sinned right now, man. God, seriously, purify my heart. I talk to God just like I talk to you. Because it's a relationship. I pray to him. Do you pray to him? Do we pray to him? Can I read something? This is awesome. Watch this, watch this. Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London. So they went to hear about the famed, you guys ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon? So they went to go hear about the Charles Spurgeon and wanted to hear him preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plan of this church? Heating plan. They were not particularly interested for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented and said, okay, we'll go see the heating plant of the church, whatever that is. They're thinking it's a mechanical heating plant. It's going to be hot. So the young men were taken down a stairway, and there was a door that was quietly opened. And their guide whispered to them, this is our heating plant. This is it. Surprised. The students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself and said, Hello, my name is Charles Spurgeon. Wow, my God. How's your prayer life, church? Spiritual disciplines, war essentials are not the ends in themselves. They're wonderful habits to have and to discipline ourselves in. They're awesome practices in our Christian walk that we are to fulfill. But listen, as I end, here it is. Their purpose is to provide a means by which believers can grow into maturity in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the purpose. It's not so that you can walk and say, I'm the best faster that there is in your life. No. It's so that you could mature and grow in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose for spiritual disciplines. I hope you guys got that today. If you leave here convicted because I don't pray, I mean um, condemned because I don't pray and I don't fast and I don't read the word and I don't serve and I don't worship. That's not what I wanted to do. I'm telling you to examine these things in your life because God's goal for you is to mature you as a Christian person in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Once a discipline has been developed, it's easy to imagine that we're now spiritual. We see that a lot. And we've done what's needed of us. Spiritual disciplines is the understanding. Not that we're spiritual, but that it's God working in us. It's a grace that has been given to us. 
and it's a grace so that we could be disciplined and that that discipline could continue to develop. And the thing that I end with today is none other than 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And he says this to his young son in the Lord. He says, Timothy, please do not waste time arguing over godless ideas. Instead, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Come on, church. Look at, look at Paul's words. Train yourself instead to be. Don't get caught up in such stupid things, you know. Should I pray like this? Should I pray like this? Or should I pray like... Should I fast for five? Should I fast for ten? Should I fast for 20? I don't care, bro. I don't care. Should I feed the sick? Should I visit the orphan? Or should I... I don't care. But watch this. Don't get so caught up with foolish things. He says, just... Train yourself up to be godly and let those things develop. Let them develop on their own. And then he says this, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. You train to get a good body? That's good, man. You need to take care of your body. Good. You eat right? That's good. You don't? It tastes good at least. But whatever. Physical training is good, but even better, even better is training for godliness, man. If you're so focused more on you than you are him, there's a problem. Why? Because it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. You guys remember how I opened up with? There's a prize, an eternal prize for the athlete, and that is the life to come. I want to discipline my life. Ready? Next week, we end the war series, and the message is titled Victory. Don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be one of those services, but, but check this. Train yourself in godliness. War essentials, discipline your life. Discipline your body. Pray more. Seek the Lord more. Worship better. Really do this stuff right. Mature. Grow. There's so much things that I missed out today, but that's okay. And let God do a miracle in your life. How many of you are ready for that? I hope you're blessed by today's word. I hope you grew. I hope you're encouraged. And I hope you got to see things a little bit different today than you maybe you have. Amen? What I want you to do today is just stand up with me as we get ready to close off and worship and in prayer.